Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They take care of our air conditioning, and they do a great job. Give them a call. Visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have great guests for today's show, including William Yateman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. We're talking about the big news of the day, of course, of what's happening with the infrastructure bills and uh, all the attempted uh, efforts at uh, passing bills that have spent trillions of dollars as well as the debt limit. We'll visit with Michael Cannon. He's a uh, education, director of education, I should say, uh, of health studies at the uh, Cato Institute. Marina Berkovich is the head of the uh, Naples Jewish Historical Society. We've got some big things coming up. And Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep, will be with us as well. It is October the 1st, and on this day in 1890, an act of Congress created Yosemite National Park, home of such national wonders that Half Dome and the giant sequoia trees. Environmental trailblazer John Muir and his colleagues campaigned for the congressional action, which was signed into law by President Benjamin Harrison and paved the way for generations of hikers, campers, and nature lovers. Native Americans were the main residents of the Yosemite Valley, located in California's Sierra Nevada mountain range, until 1849 Gold Rush brought thousands of non-indigenous miners and settlers to the region. Tourists and Damage to Yosemite's uh, valley's ecosystem followed. In 1864, to ward off further commercial exploitation, conservationists convinced President Abraham Lincoln to declare Yosemite Valley and the Mariposa Grove of Giant Sequoias a National Trust of California. This marked the first time the U.S. government protected, protected land for public enjoyment, and it's laid the foundation for the establishment of the national and state park systems. Yellowstone became America's first national park in 1872. In 1889, John Muir discovered the vast meadows surrounding Yosemite Valley, which lacked government protection, were being overrun and destroyed by domestic sheep grazing. Muir and uh, Robert Underwood Johnson, a fellow environmentalist and uh, influential magazine editor, lobbied for national park status for the large wilderness around Yosemite Valley. On October the 1st of the following year, Congress set aside over 1,500 square miles, about the size of Rhode Island, for what would become Yosemite National Park, America's third national park. In 1906, the state-controlled Yosemite Valley and Mariposa Grove came under federal jurisdiction with the rest of the park. Yosemite's uh, national beauty is immortalized in the black-and-white landscape photographs of Ansel Adams, who at one point lived in the park and spent years photographing it. Today, over 3 million folks get back to natural uh, nature annually at Yosemite and check out such stunning landmarks as the 2,425-foot-high Yosemite Falls, one of the world's tallest waterfalls, rock formations of Half Dome and El Capitan, and the largest granite monolith in the U.S., and the uh, three groves of giant sequoias, the world's biggest trees. We visited Yosemite. It's a fabulous place to go, seeing these little Specks up on El Capitan. There are actually people climbing up there and actually sleeping on the side of this huge cliff uh, during the night. 
we spent uh, actually Easter Sunday morning at El Capitan, and what a wonderful visit it was. If you, it should be on everybody's bucket list to visit uh, the wonderful Yosemite National Park. Well, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis slammed President Joe Biden during a Fox News interview on Wednesday night over the administration's limiting Florida's supply of monoclonal antibody treatments and over the administration's crisis on the U.S.-Mexico border. This works, DeSantis said, of the monoclonal antibody treatment, which he helped bring significant national attention to. And here's the thing, when it was apparent that it worked, that's when Biden administration decided to take from Florida and to cut out our allotment. And so what we had to do, and the reason is, is we had to control all the Regeneron. They had to deal with them. So they dramatically cut our supply, DeSantis said. So what we did, we uh, did a deal with GlaxoSmithKline, who also had an effective monoclonal antibody called Sotrovibium. probably mispronounced it, but that's the idea. So we now have the state of Florida, and our message to Floridians is, so we want to get you to the treatment you need, and Biden did want to give it to you, but I'm going to come to hell or high water to do whatever I can to get it for you, he said. Santa suggested the reason for Biden did this was to take punitive action against Florida because he's so obsessed with attacking Florida. He does this rather than do his job, DeSantis said. But at the end of the day, if there's a single person in this country who needs this treatment and whose lives could be saved and they can't get it because of Biden's playing politics, you know, that's pathetic, isn't that? That's not leadership. And he's so right about that. DeSantis also slammed the administration over the border crisis, saying they wanted to intentionally allowing the southern border to be flooded with illegal aliens And what we saw was we have people from over 100 nationalities that are making their way to Mexico, making their way to the southern border because Biden's made it clear if you just get there, we'll put you on a bus, we'll put you on a plane, we'll send you all over the fruited plain, he said. So we have the Americans having a hell of a time getting out of Afghanistan, and yet if you want to come here illegally, you basically get to put on your way to communities all across the country. It's a choice that they're making. This is intentional. And if our lawsuit succeeds, they'll have to end each catch and release, and you know they will be forced to actually do the right thing for a change. So he's filed this lawsuit. We can only hope he prevails, the great Governor DeSantis, who, by the way, said that he plans to run for governor again. He's kind of squelching the idea of becoming a presidential candidate. Uh, doing a great job. Well, UCLA professor Gordon Klein, who was suspended from the school's Anderson School of Management for refusing to grade black students more leniently in the wake of George Floyd's death, has filed a lawsuit against UCLA for harming his professional reputation. Klein, who's been teaching at UCLA since 1981, was placed on leave last year in response to a student campaign that called for his termination after he rejected a request to postpone a final exam for black students over the death of George Floyd. When the professor was asked to postpone the exams for black people, he replied by quoting Dr. Martin Luther King, remember that MLK famously said that people should not be evaluated based on the color of their skin. Do you think that your request would run afoul of MLK's admonition, he asked? Now Klein is seeking compensatory damages, punitive damages, and attorney's fees in a lawsuit filed Monday with the Los Angeles court. I hope he prevails, and I hope he makes it all the way to the Supreme Court, where actually this could be a part of doing away with affirmative action. Affirmative action has no place in, uh, in the United States where all people are treated equal as people, not based on the color of their skin or anything else. The whole notion is we all have free, equal opportunity to pursue our dreams 
and our happiness. Do away with affirmative action. And I hope, Professor Klein, you're successful. Special Counsel John Durham has issued a new set of subpoenas, uh, including a law firm with close ties to Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign, an indication that Durham could be trying to build a broader criminal case, according to people briefed on the matter. So far, Durham's two-year probe into the FBI's Russia investigation hasn't brought about the case as Republicans had hoped it would, or probably not as soon as it would. But parenthetically, it just takes so long for justice uh, to work its way through the process. And it, uh, many times people lose hope and interest by the time justice is actually served. I think that might be what's happening here with uh, Durham. The grand jury subpoenas for documents came earlier this month after Durham charged Clinton campaign lawyer Michael Sussman with lying to the FBI in a September 26, 2016 meeting. During the meeting, Sussman handed over data purported to show links between the Trump Organization and Russia's Alpha Bank. The tip became part of the FBI's investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election, but the FBI ultimately couldn't find any evidence of the link. In seeking additional documents from Sussman's uh, former law firm, Burton's Coy, investigators from the special counsel's office appear to be sharpening their focus on the Democratic political machinery during the 2016 campaign and efforts to tie Trump to Russia. Perkins, Perkins Coey's clients in 2016 included the Clinton campaign and the Democrat National Committee. The law firm also hired on the campaign's behalf a research company that commissioned the dossier from ex-British spy Christopher Steele that alleged that Trump was compromised by Russia. So if this goes according to a typical scheme, this way this works is some of the lower folks are indicted uh, by the grand jury, and uh, then they hopefully start talking about what uh, their superiors suggested and had them do. Hopefully, uh, I, this could be the last chance for uh, indicting Hillary Clinton for all of her crimes. It could lead right back to her. Well, in an effort to avoid government shutdown at midnight, Congress on Thursday approved a spending bill that would extend federal funding through December and provide a, uh, emergency relief to support Afghan refugee resettlement. The legislation passed 254 to 175 and will now make its way to Biden's desk for a signature. The Senate earlier Thursday passed the legislation to a 65-35 vote. This is a good outcome, said Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, and one I'm happy we're getting done. Lawmakers came to an agreement on the spending bill after Democrats agreed to do away with a provision that would have raised the government's ability to continue borrowing funds through the end of 2022. Well, Republicans caved. They kicked the can down the road. They could have stood up and said, hey, we're not doing this if you continue to push for this uh, spending legislation. We'll see how this all goes to December 3rd, though. Luck can happen between now and then. We'll talk more about this with our next guest, William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. This, shows, uh, this uh, segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform. You can download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, William. Tell us about the Cato Institute. You bet. Uh, we're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of free society at every level of government. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. So, William, this is kind of the big week, and things are looks to me like kind of falling apart for the Democrats, but I really would appreciate your update and commentary on the infrastructure saga. What's going on? You bet. Uh, we're getting to crunch time, and, and indeed, I'm pleased to report um, that, that as the, the, the headline at the Hill says, quote, Democratic Civil War Hits New Heights. Um, and again, this is, uh, as we discussed on multiple Fridays, this pertains to dueling infrastructure bills, mm -hmm. um, this Democrat infighting. So, uh, as always, I'll set the table very briefly. Moderates prefer this $1.2 trillion bipartisan um, a bill given to traditional infrastructure. It has already passed the Senate, and it was negotiated by the White House and Senate centrists. Progressives, for their part, uh, very much prefer the $3.5 trillion human infrastructure, or quote-unquote human infrastructure bill. Mm -hmm. And this, this contains virtually every single uh, progressive entitlement um, imaginable under the sun. 
um, quite uh, simply, but you know enough, uh, the difference between progressives and moderates here is one of price. Um, in the words of Senate uh, Senator, the West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin, uh, the moderates believe that the progressives are going down a course of fiscal insanity with this "quote unquote" entitlement mentality, hmm. um, and the progressives, for their part, believe that moderates, uh, with their reluctance to spend trillions of dollars, are trying to quote sabotage the president's platform. Um, so the big news this week was that uh, Speaker Pelosi in the House had had for months or for about five weeks now planned a vote or, or promised a vote to the moderates on the $1.2 trillion measure that had already passed the Senate. Um, however, all week long, and indeed for weeks, progressives have been threatening to torpedo that measure, the 90-odd member-strong House Progressive Caucus. So um, due to those threats, I guess they materialized, because at the 11th hour, literally at 11 p.m. last night, Pelosi pulled the vote or postponed the promise to vote. Um, at this point, it's very difficult to know how things are going to shake out. Mm -hmm. uh, moderates in the House are no doubt incensed. However, the early indication is that they're going to give Pelosi one more day to afford them this vote. Um, in the meantime, the latest reporting is that Pelosi is negotiating directly with Joe Manchin and that her bottom line number, and this is the, the newest news, is $2.1 trillion, hmm. whereas Manchin's top-line number is $1.5 trillion. Um, it's, again, situation is highly fluid. It is unclear whether or not either side is willing to budge, and even if either side did budge, it is unclear whether or not the results would be amenable to the progressives or the moderates writ large in Congress. Um, so, again, highly fluid situation. I'm a little less confident, or confident than I was last week that all this perhaps would fall apart uh, mm -hmm. amidst the Democratic infighting. In particular, I'm pretty darn worried about what appear to be these live negotiations between Manchin and uh, Pelosi, you know, the, the, between $1.5 and $2.1 in spending on new entitlements. So that concerns me, as does, uh, I read this morning, there was some optimism amongst rank-and-file rank and uh, Democrats, progressives, and moderates that some sort of deal would get done. So wow. uh, uh, on the one hand, I'm pleased to report that tensions are high and that the possibility remains that it could all fall apart. On the other hand, uh, I'm somewhat uh, uh, disappointed to report uh, that they do appear, the negotiations appear to be ongoing and that uh, there is some optimism in the House. And it's so interesting. It, the interesting thing, I also saw that uh, Kirsten Cinema is her popularity in Arizona is skyrocketing. <laughs> so by taking the position she's taken, of course, she's appeasing to a lot of the, uh, appealing to the, a lot of the uh, uh, independents and Republicans in her state of Arizona. But uh, she's, and quite frankly, Manchin could take a page out of her book as well, because by resisting this irresponsible spending, uh, she's, uh, I think uh, voters are liking it. I think there's going to be a day of reckoning in 2022 for some of these uh, progressives that are voting for this unconscionable spending. Uh, look, uh, I agree 100%, and, and I'll echo a sentiment you just had, whereas Manchin could learn something from Senator Sinema. I agree wholeheartedly, um, and in particular, he could learn something uh, regarding the revenue raising. So whereas Manchin has been highly amenable, I mean, Manchin's problems has basically been on the spending side. He is very much amenable to increasing 
uh, corporate taxes and the capital gains taxes. Yeah. Uh, Senator Sinema, to her immense credit, has drawn a, a line in the sand over those issues. So that's another wild card, uh, which is to say, even if Pelosi and Manchin were to come to some sort of breakthrough agreement, uh, the, the fact is that Senator Sinema is still not on board with their mechanism of raising revenue. So that's another wild card and, and another factor that, again, gives me hope that potentially all this would fall apart. Gonna, I think we should make her Republican of the Year. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So, and uh, yesterday, apparently, they passed, uh, they deferred, kicked the can down the road with regard to shutting down the government uh, and uh, to December the 3rd. Any comments? Well, I'll just say that this was after a cave by the Democrats. They'd initially attempted to force the GOP's uh, congressional Republicans' hands on this debt ceiling debate um, uh, by tying the, an increase to the debt limit to this government funding measure. Republicans did not blink. Ultimately, Democrats did. Um, they've been, uh, they, divorced, they decoupled the debt limit measure from the governor, uh, government funding measure um, and uh, were able to pass it. Um, so we just say the backstory there is that Dems tried to play hardball on the government funding measure with the debt ceiling, and they ultimately failed. You might be interested in knowing, I don't know if you ever watched Steve Bannon's War Room, but uh, he's uh, got quite a following, uh, over nearly 100 million uh, downloads since he started the show, which is pretty impressive for a, for a podcast. And uh, uh, he's been in, in, uh, just really admonishing his listeners to call your congressmen, call your senators, and make sure that they do not vote for increasing the debt ceiling. It's the one card that uh, conservatives have with regard to this uh, unconscionable spending. Well, we tried to call our congressman. All the phone lines, apparently, for senators and congressmen across the nation are all filled. You can't, <laughs> you can't even leave a message. <laughs> so, of course, uh, you know, I can't lobby for or against any particular bill, so I can't advocate for as much. However, I will say it warms my heart to know that civic participation still exists in this country. Isn't that something? It just really, really is something. So, uh, what do you think... Uh, you know, I, I personally think that uh, our debt is just totally out of control. Uh, Janet Yellen is saying, hey, we should get rid of the debt ceiling. It doesn't serve any purpose. It's not useful because everybody just increases it at the end anyhow in the, in the 11th hour. But that's like giving a credit card to the Democrats to do whatever you want to do as long as you want to do it, as long as you can garner the votes to pass these uh, spending bills. We could not agree more, and I should note at the outset just what an eye-popping number our, our current national debt is at about $28.5 trillion. Um, with respect to this proposal to take the debt limit uh, off the table permanently, I could not disagree more. Um, and whereas I have in past calls bemoaned both parties' spending and both parties' treatment when it comes to this debt limit, um, I have, uh, nevertheless, I hope that the Republicans stand firm here and actually do start taking um, our national spending seriously. Um, it, it is uh, the debt limit, uh, regardless of this unfortunate history of both parties sort of uh, not treating it with the respect it deserves, does require Congress to focus on this ludicrous number, you know, the, the yeah. $28.5 trillion, and it gets ever more ludicrous with each passing day. So I could not disagree more with Yellen's proposal. I, I do think that this debt limit serves a very salutary, salutary effect of forcing Congress to pay attention to this ongoing debacle 
that is our exploding national debt. Absolutely. Well, you just genuinely appreciate your commentary in the show. A reminder, listeners, to visit Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. William, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Michael Cannon. Uh, I have some interesting news. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Offshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000-square-foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of 1st Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit gulfshoreplayhouse.org. That's gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Marina Berkovich. She's the uh, head of the CEO of the uh, Naples Jewish Historical Society. Right now we have with us Michael Cannon, research fellow, I should say also director of education at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here, Bob. Thank you, Mike. Health policy studies. Health health policy studies. I apologize. So, hey, Michael, uh, right now uh, you shared with me offline that uh, you've actually come down with COVID. So we, we get to have a really interesting conversation today, Bob, because... Uh, for months and months now, maybe even longer than that, we've been kind of sparring over the wisdom of vaccinating. Yeah, uh, I vaccinated back in April. Uh, we talked about how we vaccinated our son, who's 12 years old, after some you know wrestling with uh, with the pros and cons there. Right. Uh, you, who are not 12 years old, 
<laughs> you have chosen, at least at last I've heard, not to vaccinate. I think that could really benefit you. You have uh, hesitation. And uh, one, of the, one of your reservations is that has been that people who get vaccinated still get sick. And lo and behold, here I am. Yeah. I vaccinated, and I still got uh, a positive COVID test. And I'm feeling a little under the weather as a result. So this would seem to confirm your perspective that maybe the vaccine isn't worth much. But I maintain, Bob, that vaccination was still the right thing for me, still the right thing for my child, and it still would be the right thing for you because it has dramatically re- re- reduced my risk of, uh, first of all, of getting ill. That's okay. It's not to zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still, still developed COVID. But it also dramatically reduced my risk of spreading it to someone else, of getting severe COVID. And I think that the benefits for someone of, uh, uh, of your generation uh, are even greater. So, uh, and so thank you for sharing that for us. It's private information, obviously, but it's a really an interesting conversation. So uh, how do you know that you, uh, your chances of spreading it are less because you've had the vaccine? I think... Uh, there are studies that suggest that the viral load of people who get uh, who have been vaccinated and still get COVID nineteen is lower, and it makes sense because your body, the vaccine, has already trained your body to fight the virus uh, once it re- once it enters your body, and so the virus doesn't get the the, the jump on you the way it does mm-hmm. if you are unvaccinated. Obviously, it can still reproduce, and uh, your body doesn't uh, knock it out immediately. That's what's happening to me right now. But uh, it makes both intuitive sense, and I think there are, uh, there's research confirming that uh, you are less infectious if you get the vaccine. So this is all so confusing to me because there's so much conflicting information. For example... Uh, for uh, months, we were talking about asymptomatic cases of people that had COVID and didn't know it. <laughs> you know, which is kind of kind of crazy. I just it makes me scratch my head. But uh, because obviously, if you have a, if you have an illness, you, you're going to have symptoms. But apparently, uh, but uh, were those people who are asymptomatic? Uh, could they spread the virus? Yes, that's certainly possible. Um, they. Uh, the incubation period of COVID-19 is as long as 14 weeks. When you have it in you, uh, whether, you know, it can be reproducing without causing the sort of symptoms that we see in some people, and it, it is possible for those folks to spread it. In their case, in the case of those patients, or, or, uh, and in the case of those uh, patients who do develop symptoms, uh, in both cases, training your body to fight the infection is uh, likely going to result in a lower viral load, which means a lower risk of, um, of transmitting the virus being infectious. So uh, you took uh, two tests. Your first test uh, came out negative. You didn't have COVID, but you took another test, which I guess was the PCR test, and it came out positive. Uh, are you sure you just don't have a cold? <laughs> no, I'm not 100% sure of that because even the PCR test, uh, have false ne- or false positives. Yeah, they do have a false positive rate. All tests do, uh, but uh, but it's much more sensitive uh, or much more reliable than the antigen test, which is the first one I took. On so I I, I developed symptoms on Saturday, on Sunday at a, an abundance of caution. I got a rapid antigen test. Uh, 
that came out negative. And then uh, two days ago on Wednesday, I got a PCR test and that was positive. Mm. I, I got the PCR test because I was sure that this was just a cold. Mm-hmm. Because I get these sort of colds when the temperature drops in the in the fall. Uh, I've been getting them for years. Uh, you'd think I'd learn by now to take a sweater with me. But what uh, I, I was... I, I, I believed it was a cold. I got the antigen test. It came back negative. That confirmed my diagnosis. But then on Wednesday, uh, really just to reassure... Uh, the people around me that it was just a cold. I got the PCR test and it turned out, uh, or I got a positive result. Yeah. So that I think is, e- even though it's not a hundred percent reliable, it is the most reliable indicator of what was going on with me. Yeah. I've uh, now they're retiring. Uh, the CDC is retiring the PCR test. It was the gold standard, considered the gold standard for uh, determining if somebody had COVID. But apparently, they decided no, it's not because they're retiring the test as of January the first. Any any thoughts on that? Um, I'm not familiar with that. I haven't seen that announcement. Uh, if they have a test that's even uh, more reliable than the PCR test, that is welcome news. That's interesting. But. But uh, it would be difficult uh, uh, for them to come up with a test that is more reliable yeah. because the PCR tests are, are, are highly sensitive and highly specific. You know, uh, just a comment, Michael. Uh, I got colds every fall uh, because uh, my, th- my theory is because when my kids are young, they'd bring the germs home. <laughs> from school and of course they'd circle all through the home but uh you know once my kids left the house no more colds <laughs> so perhaps you have that to look forward to as well well that might have been it as well i was uh certainly spending time with the kids yeah uh but um but bob i i, I do hope i maintain uh, uh that that vaccination is still your best bet for surviving COVID, and I hope you will consider it. Well, you know, obviously I always appreciate new input and thoughts, and I certainly respect your opinion, Michael. And uh, uh, from my standpoint, uh, I've seen, again, people around me. I had uh, one of my friends that got uh, had to have uh, two stents put in his leg because of blood clots. I had another friend who had a stroke. And, of course, we know that strokes are usually caused by blood clots. So, uh, and, of course, this, uh, you know, we, uh, there, what is his name, the, the great uh, boxer, light, heavy light, uh, lightweight boxer, uh, Oscar De La Coya, I think his name is, uh, ended up uh, taking the shots, getting, uh, and got COVID, ended up on a respirator in, uh, in the that hospital. That can happen. Yeah. That certainly can happen. And blood clots also happen in people of your generation with increasing frequency as time goes on. It happens to every generation that way. Yeah. And so it's quite possible that those blood clots uh, that you're, and the stroke that, you're, uh, that your friends experienced were just uh, coincidences that happened at the same time because yeah. those happen pretty often in people uh, when yeah. they reach their 70s. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree, Michael, but you know what? I just uh, f- really appreciate your having this conversation with me here on the show and genuinely appreciate, uh, hope you get better soon, quite frankly, and uh, uh, again, appreciate your coming on the show. Michael Cannon, again, uh, Director of we'll Health... We'll pick it up again next week. Health Studies at the Cato... Did I get that right? Director of Health Studies health, at the... Health Policy Studies. Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Thank you so much for joining us.
Take care, Bob. You too as well. All right, coming up, Marina Berkovich. She is the uh, CEO and founder of the Naples Jewish Historical Society. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A perfect product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now we have with us Marina Berkovich. She is an author also. Uh, she is uh, uh, the CEO and founder of the Jewish Historical Society of Southwest Florida. Marina, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me. I love being on your show. Uh, I love having you on, Marina. And uh, tell us about the Jewish Historical Society of Southwest Florida. The Jewish Historical Society of Southwest Florida is um, uh, a nonprofit organization that was established in 2010 to celebrate and promote awareness of contributions of Jews who had made an impact in Southwest Florida with the purpose of educating the Jewish and the non-Jewish population um, locally and hopefully worldwide about the positive impact Jewish people have made in every sphere and every community. Yeah, uh, great. Um, Do you have a website, uh, Marina? We have a website. It's jhsswf.org. 
which with my accent sounds somewhat confusing. So it's Jewish Historical Society of Southwest Florida with the L dropped um, at dot um, uh, org rather. Absolutely. Yeah, so uh, please yeah. visit. Please become members. Well, and uh, do visit the website, but also it's just so interesting that uh, we have a, a, a background here in Naples of actually discrimination against Jews. And if I'm not mistaken, there's uh, many, it was difficult for Jews to settle in Southwest Florida back in the early days. It's technically the last county in Florida that has become home to the Jews, which is why this is very fascinating how uh, Collier County has become the first county that we are focusing on because all of the people who have actually become early Jewish settlers have been uh, either them personally or their descendants are available for interviews, and we have been uh, collecting oral visual testimonies from them and creating um, an archive. And out of some of these testimonies, we have been making um, the films, which are called Southwest Florida Jewish Pioneers Series, which we right now um, are working on film number 17 and 18. These are um, legitimate broadcast uh, quality documentaries. And um, actually, um, if I may brag a little bit about it, um, our films have been picked up by a new museum, ANU Museum in Tel Aviv, in Israel, to be included in part of their um, collections and be available to educate people worldwide about what our Southwest Florida Jewish pioneers have done to establish a positive environment for Jewish resettlers to yeah. the area. How exciting is that? That's so exciting. And uh, you've got some great, by the way, I'd like to mention, I almost forgot about this, but uh, you wrote a book about your life, and uh, your life is so interesting, having come from Russia, lived, grew up in Russia, and uh, it's, I think it's called My Life Through My Dresses. It's called My Life Through My Dress, Through My Dresses, Growing Up Socialist, because I want to remember that I grew up in the Soviet Union. I was born in the Soviet Union, and most of the younger generations are not are no longer aware that there was a country like that, or what that country stood for, or what oppression that country stood for, really. And actually, uh, Bob, I'm so glad you asked me about that, because this year, in July, I went back for the very first time in 42 years to wow. visit Russia. Um, and I was in Moscow and St. Petersburg, which was a fascinating journey in itself. And I found um, some very interesting improvements. That, I've been blogging about it lately. That's great. So uh, it was, uh, you were, I guess, uh, encouraged by the improvements that you saw over the Soviet uh, system that you lived under. Well, I went back because, um, actually, um, I went back for a concert that um, uh, there were some romances written by my husband to my um, po Russian language poetry. And the fascinating part of it, I went back and I was in the Leo Tolstoy's home museum in Moscow. Imagine that, growing up in the Soviet Union to end up at Leo Tolstoy's home museum in Moscow to hear your work performed by a very nice singer. It was just absolutely a fascinating yeah. experience for me because I kept imagining whose feet graced those floors in the ballroom we were sitting in. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Marina, by the way, Marina's uh, husband, Alex, is a great composer as, uh, as well as conductor and uh, revered in uh, Russia, as a matter of fact. So, uh, Marina, uh, do you have, some event you have some events coming up for the... Uh... So the Jewish Historical Society has... Two major events this season coming up. Hopefully they will be live and there will be no problems with 
uh, attendance in person. Uh, we have them both scheduled at Hilton Naples. One is on January the 16th. We will celebrate the, we will do the annual celebration of Florida Jewish History Month. Um, um, with this year, we are celebrating with Rosalie Bogo, who is our genuine steel magnolia, um, totally Southern woman, but totally Jewish woman as well. And she has helped make this particular Jewish community in Greater Naples what it is today. Um, she has invested a lot of time and effort in it, and her organization and personal skills are beyond imagination. Yeah. And how well she did is the reflection how thriving the, the current Jewish community is. The second event will be in February, on February the 6th, and this is the first time we're partnering with the Holocaust Museum and Cohen Education Center um, in um, Southwest Florida to honor Jack Nortman, who um, has a family story in connection with the boxcar transportation that was used during the World War II, both by the Nazis to transport Jews and other prisoners into concentration camps in Poland, um, and also um, it was used by the Soviets during the same period of time to transport their prisoners, which included the Jews from Poland who had made the unfortunate decision to cross the border into the Soviet Union, and then they also... Uh, use the Soviets used the same transportation, the boxcar, to transport the prisoners from Siberia, where they spent the war years, back into Poland. And half of the people who were transported in that crude way, they actually perished along the way because the conditions in the boxcar transportation, which is designed for cattle, um, were just absolutely inhuman. Um, Jack has personally searched Jack Nortman and his family, they searched for um, a similar boxcar, World War-era boxcar. They purchased it and brought it to Florida, to Southwest Florida, in 2007. Um, and it has been serving to educate in excess of 150,000 local students yeah. um, in, in, in what the atrocities of World War II were. And um, it, it actually has a transforming experience on majority of the people who get um, familiarized with unfortunate details of how this transportation occurred. Yeah, um, to, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful combination and partnership between the Jewish Historical Society of Southwest Florida and the Holocaust Museum to um, honor Jack and also to help match the matching grant he and his wife Effie are donating towards the cause of continuing Holocaust education by means of the boxcar. Yeah, it's, it's a fabulous. It's no small uh, uh, miracle, actually, to get a boxcar from Russia to the United States because there's a lot of resistance to that happening. I know Jack quite well. I served on the board of the Gulf Shore Playhouse with Jack, and uh, he's a great guy and certainly deserves, as is Rosalie, Rosalie uh uh, Bogo and her husband are just fantastic folks. So I look forward to both events. And again, I'm going to encourage our listeners to go to your website. If you think about the uh, uh, Jewish Historical Society of Southwest Florida, just take those initials and uh, .org, and that uh, will take you to, uh, you can get tickets and find out more about this wonderful organization. Marina, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Bob, for inviting me. 
Anytime you ask, I'll be there. Okay, thank you, Marina. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, Downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. It's a great read. It's about the travails of dealing with union bosses from SEIU over the course of two and a half years. Uh, they wanted Dave to sign a neutrality agreement, which would allow uh, them, union bosses, to go to his employees to sign them up for the union using t- intimidation tactics and you, you name it. Uh, Dave refused. He said, if you want to unionize my company, Executive Management Services, doing uh, business in over 30 states with over uh, uh, 6,000 employees, uh, he said, no, you're going to have to do it by secret ballot. Well, they didn't want to do that. So the fight prevailed for the next two and a half years. Dirty tricks you can't believe. You can't make this stuff up. And he wrote a book about it. It's called uh, Dave Prevailed. And uh, the book is called The Devil Out Our Doorstep. Dave, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Well, thanks for having me on, Bob. My pleasure indeed. And, uh, you know, right now, uh, Joe Biden is starting to, uh, his legislation, when you take a look at these bills, which hopefully they won't pass, this quote-unquote human infrastructure bill, everything that's going to be done that takes people to do it, they have to be union members. Yeah, it's uh, it's sad, and 
course, the other thing about Bill or um, Biden is his his tax proposal that would hit business very hard all across this country, and um, you know it's it's basically it's a plan to soak Main Street, and uh, you know businesses are going out of business, people are going to be unemployed, and we're going to be heading towards a socialistic country. Yeah, hey, well, you know that's already happening. You know the, the market it's. It's got creamed here the last couple of days, and it doesn't look good today either, but it's held up pretty well. But that's big business. The major employer across the United States is small business. These companies that get started and start growing and building and uh, making a contribution to society, well, you know, a lot of them have been pushed out of business. And I think this is uh, what what the agenda is, is to... Uh, limit small businesses, deal with and uh, have crony c- uh, capitalism with big businesses, and try and uh, work through the unions. Well, yeah, it is, and uh, I'm not even sure some of the big businesses they want around because they want to get us to be like a Cuba or Venezuela, where they're a socialist communist state that they can control everybody. And uh, you know, behind the scenes, that's really who's pushing them. Yeah, it's it's so sad. So, is there any kind of update or news with regard to the unions? Yeah, I think this one's kind of interesting. Um, the uh, National Labor Relations Board um, has um, come out, and this, you know their new general counsel Jennifer Abruzzo, who is a totally totally union person, um, believes now that college football players are are employees and can unionize. And that's what they're going to push across the country. And um, that's that's going to be an ugly thing um, when they start doing that. And I can tell you, you know, the NCAA, it's headquartered in Indianapolis. And uh, hmm. th- they have uh, not responded on this thing at all or have any of the largest athletic conferences in the country uh, because, you know, they don't want to see this happening either. They don't want to have to deal with this. Well, this all started back at Northwestern, as I recall. They, right, one, right. One of the uh, linebackers, one of the players there wanted to unionize, and this became a movement, and then it kind of died away, but it seems it's rearing its ugly head again. Well, that's because uh, Jennifer Abruzzo, um, she is pushing everything, and uh, you know that's the other thing about the union. She's pushing the pro-act ha- pro hard to get the Democrats to push that through. And she's uh, really, a lot of the things Trump put into place to, um, you know, uh, control the unions, what they were doing, um, she's um, having those taken apart. And um, she's back opening up back things uh, back during the Obama era and everything else that uh, allows the unions to go in and uh, um, unionize people all over the place and attack uh, employers and uh and this gal, she's really going after employers, too, and she is all together after card check, which is what the uh, SEIU wanted to do against our company and all the cleaning companies in the country. Yeah, it's a, it's a real shame. Uh, just to give you a little background, you may recall during the, and I'm talking to our listeners now because I know you know this, Dave, but uh, uh, they, they wanted to actually unionize home health care workers. So, for example, if you had a sick mom that was living with you, you would have to belong to the union uh, be, and pay union dues even though you weren't getting compensated for the work. Oh, yeah, that's exactly right. And this, you know, people don't have to understand that this is not about the uh, union members. This is all about the dues that they collect from the union members and they put it in their own pocket and use for their own political agenda. Yeah, very sad indeed. So, Dave, it uh, uh, looks like 
Now, do they have a majority now on the National Labor Relations Board? In other words, the Democrats. Um, it's it's close. Yes. Yeah. So uh, that organization also, if it's going to become politicized, uh, could be very harmful to business owners because, uh, of course, in your book you describe how they would take complaints to the uh, National Labor Relations Board that were totally unfounded and untrue. Of course, that would show up in the papers in the front page, but uh, the retraction later showing that there was no merit in the complaint uh, would be in the back page in small print, right? Right, and... um and like I say, there this gal, um, and she and she's a Democrat. Um, she is uh, pushing very hard to change everything in the NLRB, and to uh, uh, so the Democrats have a majority, and they open up the um, the country to unions uh, to unionize people. And um, she is uh, pushing very hard on this stuff, and this is going to be tough on businesses, I can tell you. Yeah. Are you, is this, I know you have more than 100 employees, this uh, mandate coming from the president's office to, for everybody to be vaccinated in your company, is that splashing on you, or is that something you're reacting to? That's things we're looking at, and, you know, there's a, there's an alternative, too. You can have everybody vaccinate, vax, or uh, tested once a week, and, uh, so, you know, we're just looking at all the options and where this thing's going to go. And I think they're still trying to work through it right now. Um, and so it'll be interesting where it all comes out. It certainly will. It's going to be quite an imposition to uh, on businesses. Very expensive, I would think, and very harmful. Right now we're seeing hops- hospital workers quit around the United States. We're also seeing, uh, it's be interesting to see what happens in the armed forces when, when uh, uh, now, if they don't get vaccinated, if uh, members in the Army, their Navy, Air Force don't get vaccinated, they're going to end up being out of a job. Yeah, it's uh, this is all about control, Bob, and uh, they want to control this country, and they want to control everybody in it, and um, that's what socialism and communism is all about, and um, this is where they're pushing us, and the American people need to wake up push back. Absolutely. Dave Beagle, again, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. encourage you to visit his website, thedevilatourdoorstep.com, thedevilatourdoorstep.com. You can also get a copy of the book at, at his website, at my website, at a nice discount, by the way, and, of course, at all book purveyors across the United States. Dave, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, and have a great weekend. You as well. Thank you, Dave. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we've got great guests lined up for Monday, including Sal Nuzo, who's with the uh, James Madison Institute. Great organization. It's a think tank uh, representing the ideas uh, uh, and legislation in Florida. We'll visit with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com, multimedia website, does a great job. And also Larry Reed, Professor Emeritus at the uh, Foundation for Economic Education. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast. I always love hearing from you, by the way. If you'd like to send me a comment on the show or some recommendations or thoughts, you can send it at bobharden at hotmail.com. bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.
www.thepodcastnetwork.com. 